Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for giving us a hope for the future. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. Father, we thank you for being with us through, throughout this year. Father, we thank you for knowing the future and holding us in your hands. Father, we ask that during this hour that we worship you this morning, Father, that you would guide our hearts and thoughts and minds to be able to sink this truth into our, into our hearts, to carry it with us and to live it out. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, today's sermon is titled, Hope to Live Again. Our main passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's similar to a uh, sermon we did a few weeks ago. Um, you may remember that one was Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. And so that's what we want to have in this life. We want to have hope through endurance, to endure this life, and to be encouraged by the Scriptures. So today we're going to be looking at a similar passage found in Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's also about hope, and it's about hope that we will rise from the dead. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice that God did not say that he didn't want us to grieve at all. What he said was he, want, he did not want us to grieve like the rest who have no hope. He wants us to have to encourage one another with that hope. But where does that hope come from? Well, it says right here, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It comes from faith in Jesus Christ and believing that God raised him from the dead. And because God raised him from the dead, that he will also raise us from the dead. So let's look through a few of the scriptures and let's see if we can build a clear picture of this process of what's going on so that we can have hope to live again. Let's jump to Acts chapter 2. Now here, Peter and the rest of the apostles had just preached uh, the first sermon, uh, the gospel, to the people in Jerusalem. And this is what we now know as Pentecost. And this is what it says. 
Acts 2, 37 and 38 says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said that if we would repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would receive the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6 goes on to say, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So Peter said that if we would believe and repent, that we would receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians goes on to say how we would receive that gift, that He would come to live and dwell within us, and that our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians 1, we read this. Ephesians 1.14, The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession of the praise of His glory. So let's look at that for a second. Peter said, if we would repent and believe, we would receive the Holy Spirit of God. Paul goes on to explain to us that our, He lives within us. Our body is the, the temple where the Holy Spirit lives. And then we read in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. So what is a down payment? A down payment is when you tell someone that you're going to pay them in full in the future. But until you pay them in full one day in the future, you're going to give them something now of worth towards that payment to let them know, hey, I'm good for this payment. You can take me at my word. I'm going to give you as a, as a token of good faith. I'm going to give this to you up front so that you can know, hey, there's a, you, you can trust that I'm going to pay you the rest. And so if the Holy Spirit of God, according to God in His Scriptures, is a down payment on our inheritance... What is our inheritance? What is it that God said that He's going to pay us in full one day, but until that day, so that we, he, we can be assured that we can take Him at His word, that He's going to be good on that payment, that, he's, that we're going to receive that inheritance. See, the Holy Spirit said, down payment on the inheritance, so that God is saying that one day we're going to have this inheritance. We're going to, he's, we're going to be given an inheritance. And so the Holy Spirit is that down payment towards that inheritance. What is that inheritance? What the Scripture says, our inheritance, the redemption of the possession. What is it? It's the, it's the kingdom of God. Our inheritance is the kingdom of God. It is membership, entering into this perfect place with God forever. We're gonna, we're gonna, God's going to recreate the earth. He's going to come down with the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, onto this earth, and we're going to live on this perfect kingdom with Him forever. No sin, no pain, no sickness, no death anymore. He's going to give that to us fully one day, but we haven't received it fully yet. We've only received it in part. But so that we could trust Him, 
And so that we can have confidence and know that we will receive that inheritance, which is eternity with Him forever in perfection. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a, as, as a, as a token of good faith, not a, but a statement of good faith, a, a, a pledge, so to say. It's to say, here is something that I'm going to give you of, ex, of great value. There's nothing more valuable than God Himself. It's God Himself, the Holy Spirit, is more valuable. That's what's different between this, this down payment and any other down payment you've ever heard of. This down payment that God has given us is more valuable than what He's promised to give us, which is an, a kingdom. Why? Because it's Him. Why is the kingdom so valuable? Because it's with Him. That's why the inheritance is so great. That's why the kingdom's so valuable. Is because it's not what he gives us. It's not the place. It's not the state of perfection. It's the being with him. And so the Holy Spirit, Peter said that if we would repent and believe that we would receive the Holy Spirit, that that Holy Spirit would come to live within us, and that that Holy Spirit is a down payment by God that we are going to receive an inheritance into the kingdom of God as his children. So let's jump to Romans 8 real quick. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. And so so Paul is very, 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 very clear that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. He also equates that. It says... It says, if you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So he says, the Spirit of God himself lives in you. Then he follows that with, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ. So he equates the two, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. He does not belong to him. Then he goes on further to say, now if Christ is in you. So first he said, the the Spirit of God is in you. Then he said, the Spirit of Christ, then Christ in you. And so Paul equates the two. He says that the same, that the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same. This is what we teach as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's many, many, many places in the Scriptures where the writers of the Scriptures, inspired by God, said many, many times when they talked about God and they talked about Christ and they talked about the Holy Spirit, even though they talked about them in distinct roles, they equated them as equal. The Scriptures, inspired by God, equates them as equal. And that is why we believe this. So if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, because, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So now we're back to the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who is the Spirit of Him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead? That's the Holy Spirit. 
So if the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, then He, the Holy Spirit, who raised Christ from the dead, will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. And that's where we go back to the other scriptures that say the Holy Spirit lives in you. So God is clear that if the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring you to life through His Holy Spirit who lives in you. So He said the same belief that we have that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same faith is what gives us faith and confidence that we too will be raised from the dead by that same Holy Spirit who lives within us. He goes on to say a little bit later, For we know that the whole creation, this is Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because, he who, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. The scripture says that we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now, do you eagerly wait for something with patience that you don't believe you're actually going to get? I don't think so. You may wait with patience, because patience just means waiting. You may wait with patience, but you're not going to wait eagerly for something you don't actually believe you're going to get. At best, you're going you're to wait depressingly for something you don't believe you'll get. But the Scripture says that we wait eagerly. We wait eagerly for patience, for what is hoped for which is this resurrection, this, this, this entrance into the kingdom with God forever. And how can we be eager about it? We can be eager about it because we can be confident about it. We can, be, we can confidently wait for this. So, for those of us who believe that God actually did raise Jesus from the dead by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we who actually believe that, we can have confidence and we can eagerly look forward to the fact that He will raise us from the dead by that same Holy Spirit. So our confidence is directly related to our faith and belief that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now, you may, not have, you may not have any problem with that. Um, there's a story of, I, I heard, and I have no idea if it's true or not, but it's, a, it's a old, a story, an old story I heard a long time ago about, I would, I would, I would imagine this probably took place, story-wise, this probably took place around the early 1900s. But there was a man who 
considered himself a scientist, um, a man of science who believed in rationality and didn't believe in miracles. And there was an elderly woman who had strong faith in the scriptures. And so they got to talking, and they were talking about Jonah and the great, or you would know it as Jonah and the whale, but the, Jonah and, and the great fish. Um, and so the man was just, just dumbfounded by how this woman could believe that a whale swallowed a man and was in his belly for three days and then spit him out alive. And he went on and on and on and on to the woman, talking about how uh, whales can't swallow humans and, and talking about their, their, that they wouldn't be able to breathe and, and all this. And went on to explain that scientifically this is just impossible. How could she possibly believe this? And the woman responded, said, Young man, I don't know much about whales and I don't know much about science, but I can promise you this. If the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. Now that is what you call great faith. That is what some people would call blind faith. But that is great faith. And some people have that type of faith. That they know God so personally. They know God so, with so much certainty and so much reality that they believe that anything he says is 100% true. Now, I would like to say that I am one of those people, that anything he says in the Scripture, anything he says, period, I believe it 100% to be true. Because I don't believe, because I believe that God is a supernatural, powerful God who created everything that we live and can see and experience. He created the entire universe out of thin air by speaking it into existence. I believe that. And because I believe that, I believe that there is no such thing as impossible with Him. There's nothing impossible with Him. He can speak things into existence. He can speak things out of existence. He can do anything He wants with this universe that He creates and that He holds together. I believe that. But I didn't always believe that. There were, there were times in my life where I didn't know if I believed that God was real. I didn't know if I believed that, that all this stuff was true or not. And so what I'm trying to tell you is there are many, many, many people who don't have any faith. They don't have any type of faith in the miraculous or anything like that. And so I want to speak to you that to say that some, uh, there's many people who just cannot believe that Jesus rose from the dead because they cannot bring themselves to believe in miracles. And that's why I want to speak to you because you can make that journey from where you are to, to, to see that this is true. Let me just give some examples. One, this is not just something made up by people who followed Christ over many, many years and decades. You know, the, the uh, common belief is that a legend takes three generations to form. In other words, as people tell stories about something that didn't actually happen, they do it in such a way that it has to start very slow and gradually at first because if they were to say that, that something miraculous happened yesterday, then there's all kinds of people around who could be checked and asked that could find out whether or not this is true or not. There's lots of things that can be done. There's lots of things that can be checked out to see if something miraculous happened yesterday. But it's much harder to determine if you say that something miraculous happened uh, during a time that nobody's still alive. 
Because then there's no no nobody to go and ask. There's nobody to actually write and, and rebut the things that are being claimed. But the thing about the Scriptures is that almost all New Testament scholars, those who believe in Christ, but also those who do not believe in miracles, those who do not believe in the virgin birth, those who do not believe in the... In the that people rise from the dead. Those who do not believe that that the Israelites walked across dry ground with the with the sea split on both sides. Those who do not believe that John swallowed by a great fish, even they believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead because of all of the historical evidence. The first the eyewitnesses who saw the accounts and wrote about the accounts. Now, granted. Most of the eyewitnesses are believers in Christ, who died believers in Christ. Now, before you say, well, that's biased, let me just interject and say, well, it's not, I don't believe that they said they were eyewitnesses and saw Christ personally because they were Christian. I believe it's the other way around. I believe they became Christians. I believe they became followers of Christ because they saw him risen from the dead firsthand. Because they had that experience, they then became Christians. It would be, in my mind, it would be extremely, extremely impractical and very hard to believe that people in that day who had seen Jesus and had seen him crucified and then saw him risen from the dead in his glorified body who could appear and disappear out of thin air, it would be extremely hard for me to believe that they would then still reject him and not believe. I believe that so many early Christians who were, so many of the early First-hand eyewitnesses were Christians. I believe that's because they were first-hand eyewitnesses to an actual historical event. I don't have it pulled up, but First um, Corinthians, Paul talks about how he says, "I'm pass on to you what I received," uh, and he goes on to say that G- the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to, to Cephas, Peter, he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, and he also appeared, and last of all, he also appeared to me. He talks about how Jesus appeared to so many people in large large groups of people, but he said that I pass on to you what I also received because Paul was not one of the original apostles. Paul was originally a persecutor of the church, and he went around trying to jail and stomp out the church, and he saw Jesus firsthand risen from the dead, and then he became one of the the greatest builders of the church. He immediately stopped persecuting the church. He immediately changed his his pursuit of Christians uh, to get rid of them and then became pursuit of Christians to 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 make them, to make Christians. He wrote the uh, majority of the letters in our New Testament. What explains his radical transformation? 
the fact that he actually saw the risen Jesus. What about all these large groups of people that saw Jesus at the same time? There's no good explanation other than they actually saw and were convinced they saw the risen Jesus. But the thing about him saying that I pass on to you what what I also received, which... Um, Vince Vitali Vince Vitali says uh, was early church creed that that he just quoted that he passed on to the Corinthians. That letter was written most likely about five years after Christ's resurrection. Five years, and Paul said that after three years of his conversion, he went and spoke with Peter. So you're talking about this creed, who he went and spoke with Peter to to get this creed, that that was within two to three years, two to three years after Christ's resurrection. So two to three years is what all um, New Testament critical scholars believe that this was this was this this was going around rampant. All New Testament scholars, those who believe in miracles, those who don't, they're all convinced that within two to three years of Christ's resurrection that there were masses of people going around saying that they personally saw Jesus risen from the dead. They were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were now, not before, but now firm followers. Why? Because even the apostles, all the apostles, the day that Jesus was crucified... They, they gave up. They said, we thought he was the Messiah, but obviously he's not. The two on the, the, the road to Damascus, they said, we were convinced he was the Messiah, but we were wrong. He has now been crucified and is dead. They gave up. What convinced them to then come back and be convinced that Jesus was in fact the Messiah? Much less all the other people who didn't believe anymore. The only thing that can explain how that happened so quickly, it wasn't three generations of legend being built up. It was within two to three years we have masses and masses and masses of people historically documented that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And it was because, I believe the only rational explanation is that every single one of them were convinced that they saw the Jesus risen from the dead. Now, how do I know it wasn't just fabricated by the apostles that, hey, they just went around saying they saw Jesus? The tomb was, was, was historically recorded as empty by both Christians and non-Christians and Jewish historians and Romans. The, 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 we know the tomb was empty. We know it was empty. But one, one objection is maybe the, the disciples, the apostles, maybe they stole the body and they fabricated this whole lie that they all saw Jesus risen from the dead. Well, let me just back up here for a second. If that were true, which I don't believe, but let me tell you why I don't believe. If that were true, that the apostles knew that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they stole his body and they made it up. When you are going to make up something like that, and you're going to do it knowing that it's going to cost you your life, knowing that you're going to be hunted down by the Roman authorities, knowing that you're going to be stoned to death by the Jewish authorities. In other words, all the authorities are coming after you. 
If you know that's going to happen, why you would only do it if you knew you were going to get something really, really great out of it. That you would only risk your life if you knew it was going to be a really big payoff. But if Jesus was a false Messiah and you knew the whole story was false, what are you going to get? They didn't get anything. James had his head cut off. All the apostles were martyred. All of them. All the followers of Christ were, were, were dispersed. When, when Jesus' brother James wrote the, the letter of James that we have from him, when he wrote to the Christians, he said to all those dispersed. They were all dispersed because of the persecution. All early believers of Christ, it cost them everything. And the apostles went to their death. Pliny the Younger uh, talks about how when he would, uh, he, would, he would torture and execute Christians, he would, ask them, he would ask them if they were Christians. And if they said yes, he would, give them, he would ask them again a second and third time while warning them of the consequences if they did not recant their belief in Christ. And if all three times they continued to say, knowing that they were going to be tortured, knowing they were going to be killed, if all three times they still said that they were Christians, he would then have them taken off and executed in very brutal ways. And so here's the thing. All they had to do was say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's not. I tell you what, I take it back. I'm not, I, I'm not going to follow this guy. You would not go to your death, a painful, excruciating death, knowing that it was false. Knowing it was false. And so I, I, there's no way I could believe that all the apostles who endured so much suffering went through all of this suffering and pain and eventually martyrdom, that they did all this knowing that the whole thing was fake knowing Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and that there were 12 of them, and 12 of them had to keep the same story if it wasn't true. 12 of them, all 12 of them had to say that they saw Jesus, that they saw him in the room while they were hidden. That, that All 12 of them had to keep the same story, and none of them could eventually break off and, and say, you know what, it really isn't true, we made it all up. It's, it, there's no way. I'm going to quote Vince Vitale again. He quoted Chuck Colson, who was asked why he believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, I, Watergate is why I believe. And some of, of people in our congregation listening to this right now is, is going to understand this. He said, if 12, the 12 apostles, if 12 men, he said, I don't believe there's any way possible that 12 men knew that this was a lie, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that they could have kept that same story, none of them could have ever broke a secret, none of them could have ever went back, and they all went to their deaths for it after 40 years of time. That's how long it took for eventually all of them to die. He said, there's no way I believe that if, referring to Watergate, that 12 of the most powerful men in the world couldn't keep a secret for three weeks. Everybody knows when, when a, a major crime is committed, a major crime is committed, everybody knows that the more people who are involved, the less amount of time it's going to stay a secret. And you can't convince me that somehow this situation where 12 men who followed Jesus 
who then were disappointed and depressed and ran for their lives when Jesus was being hunted down and then tried and then crucified. They all took off. They, they, They ran for their lives because they were afraid to die. You can't convince me that these people who were afraid to die, who were disappointed and disillusioned and thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but then were convinced He wasn't because He was crucified and they didn't want to have any part of being crucified, that within a matter of days, they were then ready to lay their life down for Christ. That... Jesus walked on the earth 40 days and then 10 days after that was Pentecost and all 12 of them went out into the city that Jesus was crucified in. They walked out into that same city and started preaching Christ 50 days after his crucifixion. You can't tell me that they all... I mean, look at Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, I won't believe until I see him for myself. You can't tell me that he suddenly was ready after just a couple months to then, or just a month and a half, to then say, okay, I'm ready to put my life on the line. Let's go out here. Let's preach Christ crucified. Let's die for him. Uh, You can't convince me of that. It just doesn't hold weight. It can't hold water. And so you have to look at the two time frames. The time frame, which is the time frame up to the day that Jesus was crucified and the couple days after in which the disciples were convinced they thought he was the Messiah, but then when he was crucified, they didn't want anything to do with it and they were convinced he was no longer the Messiah. And then take the time frame was just a month and a half later in which they go out into the city and they're proclaiming him at risk of life. And you say, what was the gap in the middle? What is the changing force? What changed it? If you say, well, they stole the body and they made it all up and they decided they were just going to go out and try to sell a lie at risk of life, and all of them, all 12, all of them, everybody but Judas Iscariot, all of them, you can't convince me of that as a rational thinker. As someone who believes in, in, in truth and, and, and that in evidence, you, I can't believe that. I don't have enough faith to believe that. The historical weight shows that even those who don't believe in miracles believe that everybody in the early church, within just within, within weeks to day, days to weeks to months to the first years, that they were convinced utterly convinced that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Even though they won't go so far as to admit that they believed he miraculously rose from the dead, they will go so far as to say, I am convinced that there is a 97% chance that they saw and believe they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And there's no explanation for how over 500 people could see Christ at the same time and how all the early apostles were convinced who spent years with him. If anybody would have doubts, if, if it was a hoax, if it was some kind of phony, if anyone would have doubts, it would be the 12 men who spent three years with them, including Jesus' brother who spent his whole life with him. Jesus' brother did not believe in Jesus up until the day he was crucified, but Jesus' brother saw Jesus risen from the dead his brother James. 
And then James became a believer. So the apostles knew Christ very well. James knew Christ better than anybody. James went from non-belief to belief and died believing, died professing that he, was, he, was, he, he believed. He would know if he saw Jesus risen from the dead or not. The apostles would know if they saw Jesus risen from the dead or not. And so the weight of the evidence of history, there's no way around that Jesus has risen from the dead. There are many, many bright, intelligent scholars who have tried desperately to come up with a solution to this problem. They have tried desperately to come up with a scenario in which Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, but still matches all the historical evidence that we have by Christians and non-Christians. And no reasonable explanation has been put forth yet. And they're trying hard because they don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if it's true, and Jesus really did rise from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, then that means that what He said was true, and that God is real, and that we must turn from sin, and we must submit to Him in order to enter eternity with Him forever, or we will be punished for our sins forever. And that is not a truth that many are willing to accept. But just because we don't want to accept the truth doesn't mean it's not true. And so I would just say this. The same reasonable and evidential faith that we can have, not blind faith, but the same reasonable and evidential, evidence-based faith, faith based on the facts that we have that Jesus was in fact risen from the dead by God through the power of the Holy Spirit is that same faith that we can have that we who have the Holy Spirit of God in us will also one day be risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit gave Jesus a glorified body and the Holy Spirit will also give us a glorified body. We will raise from the dead. We will have a real body. We will live in a real city on a real new earth with our real God forever. And all you have to do is place your faith in Him to trust Him. Peter said to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. All you have to do is turn from sin, the one thing that separates you from God. The one problem we have with God is sin. Sinning against God. All we have to do is turn from sin to God and to place our faith in Him that He died on the cross for our sins, was buried three days, and rose from the dead. Because if you can't believe that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, the Scripture says you can't believe that you will rise from the dead. If you can't believe He rose from the dead by the power of God, then you have no confidence to believe that you will rise from the dead by the power of God. And so, it is impo- the Scripture says that it, Hebrews eleven six says it is impossible to, without faith. It is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so, I just ask you: Do you believe? Do you believe 
that Jesus actually rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and that He's alive today. If you do, then it's that same belief, that commitment to Him, that love for Him, that belief that He rose Him from the dead. It's that same belief that gives you confidence that you too will rise from the dead when you leave this world. That when you die, this, when this mortal body, temporary body dies, that He will raise you to life your spirit, your soul, He will raise you to life and He will give you a glorified body as well. And if you don't believe, I would beg you to leave no stone unturned in your pursuit of truth. That if you will honestly, honestly look to the facts and the evidence, you will find, if you're trying to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, if that's your goal, it's, and I, I'm not saying you shouldn't try it, because many people have tried to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, and in trying to prove it, were then finally convinced that he did rise from the dead. If you will pursue the evidence and the facts, then you will realize that this is a faith that you can also have that doesn't have to just be blindly accepted by throwing your brain out the window. This is a faith that you can have with confidence and confidence based on truth and facts and evidence, a reasonable faith. Now, it, of course, it will take a step of faith. It will take a measure of belief and faith to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will take a, an amount of faith to believe that. But it won't take any more faith to believe that and the virgin birth. It won't take any more faith to believe that than it takes to believe that there are no miracles and there is no God and there is no supernatural beings. Because if you take that stance, you also believe in a virgin birth. And I'm going to close with this and explain why. Because I believe in a virgin birth, that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. But I believe that Mary existed, and I believe the Holy Spirit of God existed, and that Jesus existed, that all these things already existed, and that Jesus was born by the power of the Holy Spirit without an earthly father, but from all things that already existed. But that's the virgin birth I believe in. But if you hold to the, the current dominant scientific belief that the universe itself, with no supernatural powers and no supernatural beings and no supernatural creation, the current dominant thought, look up Stephen Hawking, if, I know you know that name, the current dominant thought is the universe itself, all the universe, all matter, all energy, all particles, everything, as grand as the universe is, all of it came into existence from nothing. From nothing. Absolutely nothing. That is a much greater, larger virgin birth than any virgin birth I'm trying to say that I reasonably believe happened. Because I do believe in the existence of God and I do believe He is the reason for our existence and I believe He can do whatever He wants to. That's a much more reasonable step to come to 
than to say, I believe the entire universe, everything that exists, all matter, all particles, everything throughout the entire universe came from absolutely nothing. That it, nothing existed in them, it all came into existence. And that is the predominant scientific, non-theistic belief of the birth of the universe. And so I would, just, I would just say, look, it takes a lot more faith to believe in that virgin birth than it does to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I love you. And I know that everyone's at a different place in life. Everyone's at a different place of what they believe and what they don't believe. And I just want to encourage you to move further down that road towards God. If you are a Christian and you do believe, I want you to move further in your belief of your your faith and confidence in God. If you are a non-Christian and you can't believe in any miracles, I want you to move further down that road by investigating and asking the serious questions. Email me. Email me at YatesvilleBaptistChurch at gmail.com. Email me your questions. Email me your thoughts. Let me help you work through these things, think through these processes, and help you to realize that this is not a blind faith. This is an evidential faith. He has given us so much evidence to go on. It is a reasonable faith. And that's why Paul and the apostles says that when they went in town to town, that they reasoned from the scriptures. They debated with them, that they tried to convince them and prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And they held the Bereans up in more noble esteem than all the other towns that they went to. Why did they esteem the Bereans more and say that they were more noble than the others in Thessalonica? Because they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was trying to teach them was in fact true. They didn't just accept it blindly. They actually examined it carefully to see if what he said was true. And that is what God holds in esteem. That was lifted up in the holy scriptures of God. That God inspired the words and and lifted up the Bereans saying that is what I'm looking for. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who will examine and question and look at to see if what God has said is true. And then what little faith we have to then step out on that we can take it confidently. And then we can live our life with confidence, knowing that we've asked ourselves the question, knowing that God has the answers. God is not afraid of our questions because he has the answers. And so then we can live our life in confidence, knowing that we have confidence in what we believe. We have confidence we will rise from the dead. And we have confidence that the Holy Spirit is real. And I have confidence that the Holy Spirit, who is real, knows you, made you, called you by name, and he is working on your heart right now. And he is drawing you to himself. And he wants you to come to him. And he wants you to ask any question that is keeping you from him and to work through that. And so I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm begging you to make today the day that you come to Christ. Make today, if you're not ready to, if you are ready to accept Christ, make today the day that you give your life to Christ. If you're not ready to accept Christ, make day, today the day that you begin your pursuit of whether or not this is true. And you say to yourself, I'm going to investigate, I'm going to read this, I'm going to look into this, and I'm not going to stop until I am utterly convinced one way or the other that this is true or this is not true. And so I would beg you to even 
email me if you're beginning that pursuit. Email me so that I can put you through to the right resources. I can help you think through these things because you need to know all the truth. You need to have the best available evidence to consider if you're going to make a decision on whether it's true or not. And so I recommend looking at those who have the best arguments for Christ and those who have the best arguments against Christ. Look at the best of the best before you make your decision on if you finally believe or not. But I, I am convinced that if you will pursue the truth with an honest honesty, honesty, you will see that the evidence points to God, not away from Him. I love you. I care about you. And I pray, I'm praying for you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. And so, Father, I ask right now that of all of those listening, those who are believers and those who are not, that you would continue to draw close to them and pull them close to you. Father, for those who are believers and do believe that you rose your son from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that that will give them increasingly more confidence that they too will inherit inherit that that kingdom that you have promised to give us, that you have given us a down payment through your Holy Spirit within us now so that we can have confidence that that same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will rise us from the dead as well. And for those who are not believers, Father, for those who are not ready to take that step of faith to put the trust in you, Father, I pray for them specifically that they would look at the actual evidence and that they would realize that what they currently believe also takes a large measure of faith to believe and that what we believe does take a large measure of faith to believe, that they both take large measures of faith to believe and that neither can be ruled out. You can't walk through this life without having some faith in something. And so, Father, I would would pray that they would take that journey and realize that the more and more they look into it, the more and more evidence they see, the more they'll realize that the evidence actually does point to you and that they would eventually give their life to you, Father. Father, I pray that you, I ask that you use me in this process, that, that you would use me to help those move to Christ. Father, I, I, I love you, and I know that you want more than anything for us to love you, everyone to love you, and that no one loves us more than you. And so, Father, we thank you for your love. Father, please help us to to navigate this world that we live in. And and Father, help us to, to love others the way that you would love them. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. I look forward to seeing you soon.